And you're welcome to the second part of an interview I conducted with Tonista Mihal Martin. An interview that I think you'll agree is quite unlike any other you may have heard with him before. I'm, I mean, how often have you heard Mihal Martin in an interview situation doing this, for example? There's a great moment in the dressing room at the end. Frost gets in, you know. I told you I was the greatest. Mm. I told you I mm. was the greatest. Mm. Don't you ever again say I wasn't. You in the ring, you here. Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. <laughs> so, As you can hear, I'm given a good run for my money in the impression stakes in this conversation. But it's not all comedy and impressions. We also talk about freedom of speech and his concerns about the increasing lack of it on university campuses. His views on the recent violent protests that took place outside Leinster House, the housing crisis, the presidency, which Irish politician he'd most like to get into the boxing ring with, and lots, lots more. I remember when the Polish community started coming into Cork, you know, uh, and I met a group of them and they were probably only a year or two in the, in the country and they were saying things to me like, uh, we don't have this, no, we don't have that. I mean, they have them in Dublin, like. Oh, oh yeah, they immediately <laughs> took it on. <laughs> they have all that in Dublin, like, and we don't have it in Cork. Yeah. And, and I was yeah, rare, yeah, I was rare on that, you know. Yeah, so. that's me berries, like. <laughs> that's <laughs> me dad's, huh? <laughs> it's absolutely unacceptable, Michal. And what I think people need to see from you is an indication that you think it's unacceptable. But it, is, it is unacceptable. Yeah, but, and I'm not and, just saying that. Like, I know it. It's absolute shambles <laughs> of a career. You had the genetic code. I had. Your yeah. father was the champ. And an art He either. beat Bygraves. Yeah. He beat the boxer Bygraves at the end of the day. I was a boxer, I know. And your son, you passed it on. But you were the fallow period. You were the empty field. <laughs> My full chat with Michal Martin, Tornishta, coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. But first, the budget is just around the corner, and I can only imagine how in demand Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath are right now, getting lobbied from all sorts of angles and directions. We got exclusive access to their voicemails earlier this week. Hello. You've reached Michael McGrath, Minister for Finance. This is Pascal Donoghue, Minister for Public Expenditure. We're like the Lennon and McCartney of budgets. Or the Ant and Dick. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, that is hilarious. You're like a fucking... Sorry, Pascal. Do you know what? Get a bit of personality, will you? You're like a bucket of crown deluxe, you pop Hi, this is Miriam O'Callaghan here. Guys, any chance of a couple of billion maybe for RTE? We're in a bit of a hole at the moment. And I tell you what, it's a quid pro quo. You can come on to primetime anytime and I'll give you an easy ride. Metaphorically, that is, while also opening a trap door for the Shinners. Think about it. Three, four billion. Thanks, guys. Genuinely. Yeah. Yeah, Minister Finance and Public Expenditure, this is Bono. Yeah, I'm in Vegas, and I've just seen the future. It's the sphere. 2.35 billion, we need a sphere in Ireland! I know where it should be. Kalini Beach. Kalini Beach, mister, the sphere in Ireland, let's do it. Yeah, hi guys, this is Katie Taylor here. Message for Pascal Donahue and Michael McGrath. Any chance of a couple of quid for the boxing, by the way? This is Katie Taylor. I was former World Olympic gold medalist, yeah, light heavyweight or whatever, whatever you're having yourself. Anyway, we need more money for the boxing. There's girls coming through. Now, Kelly Harrington isn't enough. We need young people coming through in the Olympics for next year in France for 2024. So anyway, I've run out of time now. Good luck to you. This is Pierce Doherty, uh, future minister for finance. <laughs> you pair of absolute tossers. I've just seen the leak of your stupid 
pathetic little budget. God, makes me puke. Anyway, I am going to launch a counter-budget in the doll. I'm waiting you see it, guys. Sweeties for everyone. Ha <laughs> ha! Good luck at dealing with that, you parrot. Twat. <laughs> and of course, all will be revealed uh, next week. We got a huge response to part one of my conversation with Michal Martin. And I think you're going to enjoy part two even more. Freedom of speech is something that the Tónishta is very passionate about. And we chatted quite a bit about why. So let's jump right in there. Protests outside the doll. Yeah. Uh, I understand. Uh, there's two aspects to this, because I know that you are very emotive about the subject of free speech. Yes. Let's talk about that first. Yeah. You made a speech in UCC, which was jeered, booed, harangued. Um, tell me about that and, and your overall feelings about free speech. Well, yeah, I, first of all, I kind of enjoy that moment. Uh, it brought me back. The inner student came out in me. Uh, and um, I remember first as a student standing up in a big audience because I hadn't been used to public speaking, despite what people say. And the body was shaking. And I, d- I don't know if you've had that experience. Um, yes, and, I have. And remember... Uh, standing up on it. Actually, in the rest, I had to st- in the restaurant. There was an impromptu meeting with six hundred people, and I remember standing up on the table, um, giving it yards. Um, and um, so, so back when we had the consultative forum on military neutrality, the Connolly Youth lads stood up. Um, I think I believe they were Connolly Youth with a big banner, and they were trying to drown out the consultative forum. So, I then started having a go. And I felt I was back in the Philosopher and the old debating society in UCC and we're having bang, bang. You know. mm-hmm. I kind of got invigorated by it. Now, the Secretary General of the department was appalled. Uh, well, I was appalled. He kind of said, Minister, 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 you can't. I don't like that kind of. I thought, Joe, I thought that was great. <laughs> I sort of said, you know. And maybe there was a bit of the, 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 the student still in me. But uh, I, I, in a serious vein, I've noticed over the last decade or so, universities are now very careful about who comes on campus, security guys are on the place and it's not healthy because a campus should be all voices, all opinions, let it rip, so to speak, in my view, because that's part of education. Uh, one learns as you go through. Um, and they become very cosseted or very kind of, it's all modules and semesters. And uh, I know my own kids have gone through college now and um, okay, they enjoy the nightlife side of it, but where's the, the excitement on the campus? And I think we're, we've lost a bit of that uh, in our university experience. And I think I've said this during the consultative forum. I said it to various university presidents because I'm interested in this. You, you, you've got to ensure that the esprit de corps of every university is to facilitate the articulation of viewpoints and voices um, and trust in the intelligence of people to to come through that period um, you know in terms one of, of one of the, one uh, of the difficulties uh, I think we have with modern day argument sorry for just yeah. interrupting slightly but one of the difficulties we have with arguing with each other nowadays is that people aren't accepting that the other side are arguing in good faith yes they yeah. an immediately default position is you are an antagonist you want to destroy me and you want to destroy every uh, and my camp my tribe they're tribal so basically there's no sense of believing at all that you're arguing with me is actually trying to help to trying to get to the nub of the solution or trying to see me my side as well there's no belief in that anymore uh, we, there's a problem yeah you have a view i have a view but we're not i'm not i want to i want to help the problem not get at you 
Yeah, that's missing. Yes. Or it's not. I mean, so good faith is you, missing, I you're think. You're put into a pigeonhole straight that's away. That's it. You're and I think that, that, that's your view, you're I, that. And I think that the tools around us are, are... And we're not allowing people to travel, like to journey. Like, we all have to journey in life. You know, I came from a position I sent here in the 70s. I learned, I journey. Exactly. I listen. Like, listening is probably the greatest skill we can give to people. Uh, just listen. And then, as you said, try and work out the problem. What, what are we trying to solve here? And there's, there's less of that, de- definitely, uh, in, in, in the world today. And, and that would worry me. Um, and um, yeah, and I always loved, when I was a student, the better debaters. And uh, some of the best debaters were medical students. Um, <laughs> in our time, <laughs> paradoxically, you might think. Um, but they're the wittiest. Um, and, and we had some great crack. Uh, and you, you mentioned Liveline earlier. Um, I stayed on in college for a year uh, to do the masters, but I had met my wife to be as well. So you do things for, for different motivations. But Joe Duffy had become president of the USI. That's right. <laughs> so, and I had we, we then got elected. A whole gang of us said we'd get on the students' union. Oh, yeah. um, and so then, did you debate Joe Duffy? No, see, I, yeah. Joe came down then because UCC wanted to disaffiliate from USI. <laughs> and so you've just got down, was it the Ballymun, the Ballyfermot accent? Ballyfermot. In Cork. Good afternoon to you. Yeah, and trying to keep us. And I allied with Joe at the time mm. uh, and we lost handsomely in the debate and, and, and UCC seceded. Um, Lucky for you, you would have gone all Labour and Connolly on us. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed Joe at the time um, uh, as president of USI and I always remember mm. he, he potentially was a good propagandist. Um, potentially? I was He's the best Fucking propagandist this country's ever had. I was internal relations officer, the PR. He can make two hours out of halal ducks on the radio. So we're marching down Patrick Street against cutbacks. At the time, students had medical cards and they were being taken off us. Um, And Joe said to me, go up there, he said, and telex, he said, that there's 5,000 people in the march. And I said, Joe, there's there's no 5,000 people here. Just go up and tell them there's 5,000 people marching. (laughs) The problem I had I didn't know what a telex machine was at the time. <laughs> so I'm running up. He said, go up to the use of, um, office. Um, use of tra- I run up and then I got the woman to do the, um, sorry, I shouldn't say that, but the person to do it for me. There you are. Excellent. Uh, now, free speech, of course, is important, yeah. as you've just outlined. But when does free speech cross over? You see, what happened outside the doll there last yeah. week is, uh, is, is, is pretty rank, isn't it? You see, where it comes to, it is, and where it comes to, you can't walk the streets. Even if you're a public representative, that's crossing the line. I mean, and there are attempts made to to stop people. It didn't start, by the way, last week. It, I can recall 10 years ago, people following us around with phones. How does it feel like this? And how does it feel like that? And all that kind of thing. And um, so I, I draw a line. Every citizen has the right to walk their streets in my view, unimpeded. Weren't the gallows a spooky reflection of the January 6th thing? Yes, um, there is. I mean, I, I think some of this has caught us by surprise in terms of the numbers. Um, and you, you said it earlier, there's no discussions here. There's no engagement. There's no even wish to engage. No. It's just shout, roar, name call, uh, and call for um, violent things to happen to people. Yeah. I mean, I watched the the, the Michael Healy Ray piece and he's coming out of the doyle and he's trying to walk to wherever to, to his offices or to get his uh, iPad fixed or whatever and um, I mean some fairly horrible stuff being said uh, and they, you get the impression they don't quite know who Michael Healy Ray is actually 100% uh, which really you know Michael would be well known but they weren't interested in his views what he had said 
uh, they just had he's a TD or whatever he's in there in Leinster House attack 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 he's actually on the phone say hello to him uh, Michael how are you your first cousin from Cork on the phone hello to you Michal and I am having a great time I must say listening to this podcast but I must diverge from your opinion no Every man is entitled to his opinion, and you, as Tarnishta, are entitled to yours. But I must take grave issue with something you said a minute ago. And that is, I was not trying to get my iPad fixed. It wasn't my iPad at all. And furthermore, all those people who were chasing me down the road, that was the best bit of publicity I've had in 30 years in Dalaran. So I say to you, bring it on. More protesters, more gallows, because I was the front of the Irish Examiner for three days afterwards, <laughs> and I was page two, three, four, five, and six in the carry man. I say you were, yeah. So I will have any protest going. In fact, if you could incite a riot to DM me, Hall. I would be more than grateful. And I know when you stutter, when you, you're, no, you're, you stu- are, no, you're stuttering, you, you're Michael, stuttering again. You're the, envy, you're the envy of Leinster House, Michael. <laughs> I, am the, I am unique. Unique. <laughs> Absolutely. Unique and extraordinary. Michael, Nobody debates like me. Except when we... Philosophical <laughs> society of Kerry. <laughs> Could you not be at least acknowledged, Michael, we built that bypass for you, the McCroom bypass, and you turned up uh, on that day in Cork um, extraordinary really in terms of what we Cork people do for you uh, all of the time you know uh, faster road to Kerry linking you up with that great city of Cork uh, shorter journeys and so on like that The only thing Cork is is a brief stepping stone on the way to a 29th all Ireland that's all you are oh, yes, we, we get, get you for that <laughs> Fair play to uh, Michael Healy Ray So uh, you're doing great Michal you are doing great you are doing great. Michael D. Higgins is on the line. Say hello. Oh, yes, indeed. I appreciate very much the respect shown to the office of um, the Octoron Nehiren. And thank you. And again, like the others, I'm very interested in this podcast. But may I ask you to clarify something? What, if any, are the powers of the president to say anything at all about anything? Farmers, the UN... Where do you draw the line? Because you won't pick up the phone when I ring you. Either will the other fella. So tell us. We're waiting. No stuttering, please. <laughs> so uh, fair play. You see what he's saying? Sorry? He's asking, you see what he's saying? He's asking you... He's asking you... Has he gone too far? Not at all, no. The, he hasn't. The president... Why is, it, um, why is half the country saying he has? I don't think half the country is saying that. The media? Uh, well... The media is not half the country. Okay, fair uh, enough. Good me, point. Uh, so uh, I always remember that, Mario. You know, we're uh, all the country, um, not all the country. <laughs> I'm and, uh, the president, uh, people have um, very strong uh, affection for the president. Yes, they like him. They do like, you? They like I do. Yeah, mm. and uh, they like he's thoughtful. Um, he's reflective. Uh, I think he's worked during the, uh, the decade of centenaries and the Machnov series he put together, where he drew many academics and writers together to reflect on our centenaries and so on. So he's a very interesting person um, across the board. I've had many good chats with him when I was Taoiseach, uh, which I enjoyed uh, on a range of subjects. So I think he has evolved the presidency. I think on international matters, he has a clear interest on issues to do with hunger in particular. Um, He spoke in Senegal last year on behalf of us all, uh, very well received by African leaders. Um, So he's well, very well respected internationally. And um, I respect that. 
Thank you. I respect you for respecting me. Wonderful. <clears throat> can we write it into the Constitution that I can, there's a third term possible at all? There's a wonderful elasticity in the Constitution. I love that word. Yeah. Elasticity. It means anything is possible or stretchable. Absolutely. <laughs> stretchable, I think, is the key word there. They would. If Ireland had a chance, they'd vote him in a third time, you know. Probably, yeah. yeah they would, yeah. Because, look, he has his political views and yeah. they, they wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea. But I think people feel that from, and this is, bit, this is almost bald, a public relations point of view, he has been a brilliant president. And what I mean by that is, outside the country, he's very well known as being a person of intellect, yeah. integrity yes. and decency. Yeah, people in Ireland want that in their president. They want particularly the external sense that uh, the person is well respected yeah. on the international uh, stage. And uh, President Michael D. Higgins is very clear in, in, in South America, for example. He's had a long, long um, term, lifelong interest um, in that. I mean, when I was a Minister for Foreign Affairs previously, he would have been the opposition spokesperson on foreign affairs. So he has a deep interest in, 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 the, in the world. And um, I can recall he was a very helpful opposition spokesperson at the time when we had some challenging issues. Uh, so he wasn't the type of opposition spokesperson that would seek to exploit difficulties that a minister might be in or that you might have a particular difficult topic. Mm. He would be interested, back to your problem of, of, of solving it, he would be interested in, in giving advice as to how maybe we could approach a given situation. What about the UN thing, for example, just as a matter of interest? Do you think he's, um, he would be outside his remit to be speaking about the UN like that? No, I think, um, again, the context is everything. So um, he, he has spoken to deploying. I'm on a doorstep in, 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 in uh, New York, so I, I hadn't quite heard what the president had said. But I, I think on the UN, it would be accepted that the president would have uh, perspectives on, on, on a whole range of issues, particularly on the issue of global hunger. Um, which is which is it's getting worse and on the sustainable development goals which Ireland has been the pen holder for what we mean by that is Ireland was asked a year ago would we reauthor or re-energise the sustainable development goals which Ireland had been part of in 2015 mm. because of Ireland's historic connection I think with famine and hunger we're seen as bona fide players and I think President Higgins personifies that in terms of his uh, commentary on the United Nations. So there's no, I mean, I think, the, and there are huge challenges with the United Nations, which we all accept. I think it's all accepted as well in this country that the principal economic and social difficulty facing us at the moment is the subject of housing. Now, I don't want to do 20 minutes on this. Yeah. And an awful lot of it is on record already. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find a way of eliciting a halfway uh, cogent answer, which might be helpful to my listeners. <clears throat> I'll preface it, preface it by saying this. I don't know if you've heard an economist called Chris Johns. Chris Johns is, had him on this podcast. Very interesting economist. He has a number of interesting perspectives on things. So his view would be that um, housing is a problem in this country, but it's not unique to this country that there are issues with housing in, in, in Britain, Australia, Canada, and indeed all over the world. Houses, uh, rental problems, and indeed high prices issues and people not being able to get any accommodation at all. House. Having said that, it seems to be particularly pernicious in this country at the moment. We've just seen a th three bedroom semi-D in Dublin go past the 300,000 mark. Rents are absolutely extraordinary as a proportion mm -hmm. of um, as a proportion of somebody's salary. Even when I approach this next part of my question, I get I begin to feel emotional because it makes me sick that a guard who's married to a nurse in Dublin can't afford a house. And that must make you sick as well, that the, 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 the guard 
who protects you when you're walking down the street in the face of those monstrous protesters and the nurse who salves your wounds if you fall on the ground or break your leg in the hospital cannot afford properly a house or a roof over their heads. I did preface it by saying I know it's not unique to this country, but can you say anything in two minutes to people who are aged between 20 and feckin' 45? Mm, mm. Because now the age is being stretched out that people aged 45 and 6 and beyond are living with their mams trying to have sex with their partner in the feckin' bunk room. It's absolutely unacceptable, Michal. And what I think people need to see from you is an indication that you think it's unse- unacceptable. But it, is, it is unacceptable. Yeah, but... but, but, but <clears throat> and I'm not just saying that. Like, I know it's right. I mean, uh, um, and like I... I'm part of everyday life as well. I meet younger people. It's the biggest issue facing our country. And the simplest way out of it is we've got to build more houses and we've got to build them faster. It's as simple as that. We've just got to build more. I think there was a decade went by when we didn't build at the level that we we should have been building at. Um, We not only have to build faster and more, we have to make it more affordable. And there's a whole variety of schemes now. And there are more first-time buyers in them buying houses last year and the year before than we've had for quite some time. That's going to have to continue. And it's going to have to go on for the next 10 years, building, building, building up to maybe 40,000 uh, a year. Do you um, see any indication that you are making any progress? Yeah, I do. Yeah, because we had, there were 30,000 houses built last year. That's 40% more than the previous year. Now, I know we had COVID and all of that, but it's 40% more than the previous year. Uh, we will make 30,000 this year, but we need to do more than that. We have to get to 40. When, there, there are new modern methods of construction which are faster. Um, and that has to happen. The big concern I have is in cities where like, they're all saying they can't do, the, when I say they, developers, and say, oh, we can't do apartment blocks somewhere. No, the, the state's the only actor in this, it seems to me at the moment, in terms of supporting affordability for apartments or for housing. Um, and that, that would be a concern that if, you know, when I grew up and so on, you could attempt to buy a house in your locality or near where you were born and reared. In cities today, that's bec- it's, it's, it's very difficult, if not impossible, for people to try and do that because of, of, of costs. So we have brought in concepts like cost rental. We've brought in affor- affordable schemes. There's, there's lots of schemes that there are now in terms of affordability that weren't there two or three years ago. Uh, and we are getting, I think, faster. We're also penalising the hoarding of land. Uh, that is zoned already to get to get it into the marketplace to get houses built on that land. Um, so, and, and there's lots and lots of bigger projects have got to go ahead that were lying on the, that were being objected to that were being hanging around in terms of redesign. We want this mix of houses or that mix of houses. So, uh, when I became teacher two, three years ago, it was the number one issue. We had to inject urgency into the housing issue. You realise that Sinn Fein are going to get sixty, sixty-three seats next election, perhaps. And 23 or 24, 30 of those seats, you could nearly count, are because they say they're going to sort the housing problem. What do you say to that? Well, I think examine what they're saying. I mean, they would get rid of affordability very quickly. I think young people would be in a much worse position. If Why? She, well, if they got rid of the head to buy scheme, if they got rid of the first home scheme. Are they saying they will? Yes. They've opposed it in the Doyle. They've opposed those in the Doyle. They're the very schemes that enable young people to have a chance of buying a house. Uh, in, 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 in in urban Ireland um, they've been against some of the, um, the the schemes we bought in for dereliction for example there are very good sizable grants you can get now for renovating a house or for uh, a derelict house for, and so on so um, they, people need to read what they're saying and what they would do 
um, in terms of housing. And I think for young people who want to own a home, uh, I think the Sinn Féin policies would make it more difficult and more challenging for people to be in a position to afford to buy a house. And people need to read the detail of what actually is being proposed by Sinn Féin. Okay. And by the way, they've been scant enough on other things on detail. You know, it's sloganeering. And I understand that in the middle of a crisis, they'll say we'll do it better. But we need people need to read between the lines and read the detail of what actually or how they would do it better. Some people say to me, um, is that gift grub thing still on the radio? And they go, I go, yeah, I've been, I do it every day. And they go, yeah, because I used to listen to that all the time in 2004 and 2005 when I was growing up. And so it just shows you how easily people forget things and they move on in their lives. But <clears throat> one of the things that you did, which probably loads of people have forgotten about, was that you were instrumental in introducing the smoking ban into Ireland. And I think a lot of people would probably be very grateful for that now. I know that I gave up smoking about a year after that. I used to smoke 20, 25 a day. Yeah, yeah. I gave up smoking completely. And I only have one sneaky one every so often. When That's why you're looking so young. Though. Exactly. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but you feel similar. You feel strongly about alcohol as well, don't you? Um, I, not to the same extent as I would have about cigarettes. Not to ban it. Um, not to ban it, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think alcohol, uh, you know, as you get older, you begin to realise it's not all as it seems. I think um, what worries me about younger generations is the quantity of spirits that are, that are consumed. Um, and um, look, I'm a health conscious person. I think I'm, some people call me a hypochondriac. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I came into the studios this morning. I saw some woman with a bowl of... I said, is that porridge? <laughs> she looked at me. You want everybody on the porridge? On the porridge, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then uh, I think one of I don't know, one of you guys got me one time. I said, who the hell? There must be a source. There's a mole in my camp. Because uh, one of the comedians say, I shouldn't have had that, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, a regular yeah. refrain if I take yeah. something. that uh, It's not good yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, uh, or yeah. whatever like that, you know. But I do enjoy a pint. So, uh, yeah. And I enjoy... A pint of... Murphy's, Murphy's uh, and I enjoy the socialisation that brings a carefully chosen answer that Murphy's but it's true so not Beamish what's your problem it's, with Beamish I love Beamish too and yeah. in Nemo Rangers it's Beamish the working man's point <laughs> uh, and the reason in Nemo you have a Beamish is because it, it, it it's there's quite a good quantity and cohort of Beamish drinkers which means the pint is fresh and good and so on like that um, final but, question yeah. your phone we wouldn't believe this you're really lucky Roy Keane's on the line say hello oh fantastic my hero <laughs> How's it going? How's it going? Going fine, right? Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. to talk to you. Yeah, I'm yeah. preparing all the time. Yeah, like, no, yeah, I'm really yeah, interested. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in the podcast. Credit to, credit to Waffle. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Um, I was just looking here. Your father, your father was a boxer at the end of the day. He was a champion. He was a champion boxer. You know, your son. He's a champion hurler. Champion hurler. Footballer. <laughs> And a footballer. Did he never play hurling? He did, actually. See, I told you he was yeah, a champion. You're dead on, you're dead on. I know on, more about your son than yeah, you do. Yeah, he was a better hurler than footballer, actually. I know more actually. about your son than you do. And <laughs> your, your father was a champion boxer. Your son is a champion hurler and footballer. And what are you? Eating I'm porridge? Tell you. Drinking pints? Drinking Murphy's and eating porridge? Shocking, shocking. And what, what sport did you do at the end of the day? Junior B football with Nemo. Junior B and and soccer under fifteen cup medal. That's um, absolutely brutal at the end of the, the day. One of the greatest moments uh, of my sporting oh, career. No. And I hate yeah, lads yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. their greatest oh, moments. Go yeah. on, yeah. What was yeah. it? Left full um, with Talker. Oh no. And telling it, uh, and we beat Rockmount, right? Uh, actually, Rockmount. Rockmount. Yeah. Nobody beats Rockmount. Uh, we beat Rockmount, right? Uh, oh. And uh, great moment. Uh, and see that's uh, the way you see that's what, that's what I hate it's about, about the like moment they like only that, have yeah. one moment that's it that, you're meant yeah. to have a lifetime of moments but you gave them to us wrong. you gave them to us you know you're a lifetime <clears> of moments <throat> and you're there yeah. I had one moment why didn't you have a number of moments at the end of the day this absolute shambles <laughs> of a career 
His father, you had the G- oh, credit to DNA. You had the genetic code. I had. Your yeah. father was a champ. And an He beat Bygraves. Yeah. He beat the boxer Bygraves at the end of the day. I was a boxer, I know. And your son, you passed it on. But you were the fallow period. You were the empty field. <laughs> <laughs> You're barren. <laughs> the barren field. Oh, God, at the yeah, end skip, of the day. The, skip the generation, right? Yeah. <laughs> skip the generation at the end of the day. God, yeah. And I used to dream about it, you know? <laughs> Michal, I'm really oh, introduced. I know you've got to go, so I'm going to finish yeah, it up. Fine, yeah, yeah. I'm going to finish it up. This is your quick fire round. By the way, Roy was a great inspiration for for the family. Yeah. Ah, yeah, great, great. I always remember. It. And the young lad, one of the first biographies he bought was was Roy Keane's. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a cork thing, you know. Oh, he's uh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, actually, now on that subject, there's another caller on the line. Yeah, Say hello, yeah. Brendan O'Connor's on the line. Say hello. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Hi, Michal. How are you? Uh, another cerebral man. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Cree Street all the way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oppressed, was it? Cross Cree Street. He, he, he's pretty yeah. 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 Brendan, you're pretty nev, Brendan. Yeah. Same, same order. What like, is it about cork? What is it about cork that makes it so special? Um, what is it? I was just, we're a maritime nation, broad-minded, open, you know, tolerant. That's it. I think that when you when you when you have the sea, you know. What's the unique the rebel not the not the rebel the um the otherness because they have an otherness. I went to school in Cork. Did you? Yeah. Went to Ashton. Did you? Mm. Great school on the old Black Rock Road. That explains everything. And I was a boarder there as well. Oh, were you? In Rochelle yeah. House. Yeah. Don't know if you ever heard of it. I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. And. Cork gave me the ability to understand and not be afraid of doing Cork accents. Um, but because <laughs> I can do John Spillane and a whole lot, I'm brilliant. So I am Mihal Martin. He is the spirit of the, he is the Colossal Christ Three, Christ Almighty, hanging himself off the cross with his porridge dripping down his brow. And yeah. so I never had a fear of Cork accents because. Once you go there and you inhabit it, I could feel the music entering me. But the second day I was and, there, and we're funny people, like bit of wit, hilarious, great wit, hilarious, great don't wit. Take, but, but don't take, don't take, don't take ourselves too seriously. But what's the otherness, though? Because that thing that they do, where they go, um, oh yeah, yeah that thing where they do, where they go, but it's not Cork, <laughs> or or but it, that that would be Dublin, like yeah, yeah. What's that? Is it just a fierce pride? It, it's, uh, I think, yeah. Uh, it, uh, I remember when the Polish community started coming into Cork, you know, uh, and I met a group of them and they were probably only a year or two in the, in the country and they were saying things to me like, uh, we don't have this, no, we don't have that. I mean, they have them in Dublin, like, <laughs> I don't believe this. Like, they'll just come they're, in for two years and they got that Cork thing. Oh, oh yeah, they immediately <laughs> took it on. <laughs> they have all that in Dublin, like, and we don't have it in Cork. Yeah. And, and I was yeah, rare, yeah, I was rare on that, you know. Yeah, so. that's me berries, like, <laughs> that's <laughs> me dad's, huh? <laughs> Yeah, but we're proud. Yeah, we're, but we were. Ah, but I think what I like about Cork is that uh, you, you can't stand on ceremony, and they don't. They don't like fellas who sh- um, believe in themselves. You know, too much, or they'll pull you down to size very quickly. Did, so you have to you stay grounded. You have to stay grounded in Cork. You know. Yeah, but when I when I release tickets to live shows, the Cork tickets always go first. Do they? Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, like, yeah. I would do four or five nights in the Opera House, and, yeah, and yeah. I would do three or four nights in Dublin, much bigger population in Dublin than Cork, and I do more nights in Cork. Yeah. And I think it's something to do with the piss take. They love, they love it. They love yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I, I got into trouble with it actually, with the front bench and so on like that. You know, I would start. We call it slagging in Cork. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have a go at someone, and and guys in Dublin, they, they took you seriously. Mm. And someone had to pull me aside and say, mm. you know, Dara Blinder is taking you seriously. Like he's getting upset with what <laughs> you're saying. He's uh, now smoking forty a day. <laughs> 
not 20. <laughs> and I said, I'm only slagging him. Yeah, I wish he would fucking stop slagging so me. Me all as this. He's, he's some sort of serious comedian or something. He thinks he's Tom. No, but they actually thought I was being serious about yeah. something and I was only having fun. That's right, because Dublin is a capital city and you get that capital city-ness. Uh, yeah, I thought, maybe that's it. It is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah New yeah. York, um, oh, London yeah, yeah. as well. They, the bigger the city, the more capital it is, the more they take themselves seriously. <laughs> And That's so <laughs> they do. Yeah, and they kind of go, sure, only an idiot. Sorry, mate. Are you, were you serious when you said I was an idiot? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was just having an, I was just offering your point, like. <laughs> but you just called me an idiot. No, but I said it out of affection, like. You're a langer. What the fuck is a langer? That's exactly it. No, you're a gold, like. You're a gold, yeah. A gold and a la- Sorry, you've just called me. What was that about my mother? No, no, no. That's a term of affection, boy. I said the same to Dara O'Brien at a cabinet meeting there last week. Um, so here's your quick fire round yeah, yeah. to end it. Uh, so you'll have to answer as quick as possible, at least stuttering as possible. Uh, your name, please? Michal Martin. Your chosen subject? Uh, history. Good. Uh, Michal Martin, you have five seconds on history starting now. Most impressive international leader you have ever met? Nelson Mandela. Ooh. Good afternoon to you. I do a very good Nelson Mandela from heaven. He is speaking down to you. Can you hear him? I'm listening all of the time. Brilliant. Uh, in, uh, ANC, rule. I, do, I still do that on stage because I do a piece on the Good Friday Peace Agreement. Oh, right. Which okay, I imagine yeah, yeah. that Miriam O'Callaghan single-handedly affected the Good Friday Peace Agreement by going up to Stormont and getting them all together and making mobile phone calls to Bill Clinton and Nelson Mandela. So I get a chance to do Nelson Mandela. Maria on the phone. But anyway... The least impressive international leader you've met. Oh. Okay, I, I'll rephrase it. The one you had least chemistry with. <laughs> you've, you've hit me. Um, the older boy, me know, doesn't want to upset anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you have to say something, <laughs> Who's the least impressive uh, that I've met? Um, Donald? I haven't met Donald, you see. Have you not? No, 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 no. Um, Do you want to pass that one? We'll pass that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, can yeah. see it's difficult for you. Yeah, yeah. You've gone red again. Most difficult decision you've ever had to make yeah, politically in your professional life, in your professional life. <clears throat> and that can be serious or if you want to. The most difficult. Um, I think the the most difficult. Sometimes the hardest ones are the easiest. Mm. That, that, so because um, people think, oh, you're a bit of COVID or you're the smoking ban was a difficult decision. But actually there was a certitude and you were doing the right thing. So it's not. The religiosity about it. It's not as difficult as a decision. The issue was implementation, execution, get the thing over the Are you line. a religious person? Uh, not overly religious. No. No, no. Are you more spiritual than religious? I'd say I'd be more spiritual, no. Yeah, Reflective, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I like the ritual of it. And again, like the invitations. I, I was an altar boy then in the 70s. Yeah, that's part of community, though. And it was part of the community at the time and, and, and all of that. But I, was, I could nearly say the mass for you. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, I, I, at the time, the way the priest would do this, come on, do the Lord that. be with you. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I can do it. No, all you did. What's called as that? Uh, sorry, the Lord be with you, and also with you. Lift yeah, up your yeah, hearts. Yeah, it is right and proper. Uh, we lift them up to the Lord. Lord. Oh, sorry. Come on. For God's sake, you can't do mass at all, and I'm a heathen. <laughs> I'm a Muslim, uh, Hindu. Uh, so, I'm a fark gorilla. How, how do we get here? <laughs> Sorry, we no, got here asking, do you, do you kneel down beside your bed and say your prayers? I know. No, no, I'm joking. No, but no, do you no. cross your brow when an ambulance I tell you, goes? when do, things... Do you, cross your, do you cross yourself when an ambulance goes? I will do, I will think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when things are, when, when you know, before a match or something, <laughs> you might say, look, don't, you know. 
your get us over the line. Your minder is telling me to, sh- to get, get, it, it, get it over get with. Get us now. over the line. Okay, I'll, I'll finish it now, right? Um, if you had to get into a boxing ring with one Irish politician, who would it be? In a friendly way. <laughs> In a friendly uh, way. Can I just answer? Uh, I, I'm still on the line. <laughs> uh, Pierce Sorry. Doherty, yeah, yeah. Pierce Doherty, <laughs> very great, good. To be great scrap. <laughs> <laughs> if he was to be a famous, if you were to be a famous sports star for a day, who would you be? Oh, um, Mohamed Ali. I knew you'd say that. Oh, I had to be. Uh, I bet you, I knew you'd say that. I tell you, you won't believe this. Um, I had oral surgery on Friday to get a tooth out, right? Murder, uh, pain, desperate. And I'm really feeling sorry for myself. And I, up comes, I'm look, uh, looking at the old films and so on like that, up comes George Foreman, Muhammad Ali. Mm. Rumble in the it's Jungle. It's my greatest moment. Have you seen When We Were Kings? Uh, have I seen that? No. When We Were Kings is the, the, film, do- is the documentary, documentary of Muhammad I think Muhammad. I probably have. Yeah. I've watched everything about Ali. It's a story of life, really, that sort of, the underdog coming in, he's going to be whipped. Uh, David Frost is commentating. You've got, you've got George, uh, Frazier's in the audience. Frazier's kind of not really believing Ali's going to win this. And he's saying it's even after three rounds. It's not even after three rounds. Ali is, the left jab is out. And uh, there's a great moment in the, the dressing room at the end. Frost gets in, you know. I told you I was the greatest. Mm. I told you I mm. was the greatest. Mm. Don't you ever again say I wasn't. You in the ring, you here, Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. <laughs> so, my all-time hero. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, Jesus. And my father used, being a boxer, have us up. It's the only time you can stay up late at night. Yeah. Watch those great fights. Yeah. Uh, the Norton, well, the Frazier ones. No, they were brutal. Yeah, uh, you're slightly before me. I remember my grandfather in Waterford. Listen to this. This will yeah. ring a bell. Yeah. Colour TV, first colour TV, about 1976 or 77. A bit late. And uh, he'd, he would, he, 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 I was eight years of age and he nudged me in the bed and he said, love, 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 get up, get up, get up. And I went, what? Ali, Ali, Ali's fighting. I went, oh, because we'd been talking about this for months. So I got up, he was fighting Leon Spinks. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he got beaten. He did. Right. And I was crying. Four o'clock in the morning, I'm crying off to bed. And he went, he'll get him again, right? Six months later, three o'clock in the morning, love, love, Ali's back, Spinks again. And we watched Spinks. And when I saw Ali's body, his yeah. body had changed. It had all toned up. He had got fit. He got fit. And he whipped him. You see, yeah. And Ali was kind of lazy at times. Yeah. And the fights he lost, like the Norton fight mm. he lost, he'd messed around yeah. for weeks before yeah. that and on the day because he thought he was going to beat Norton. Yeah. And he got caught. Yeah. And then he'd, he'd, he'd wise up for the next fight. Yeah. That was the, I think, was the only man for three times to come back and win the title a third time. Yeah. Like when he had beaten... Foreman, he was the only man in history to come back and win it a second time, if yes. I understand it. And then to beat Spinks was was quite incredible. Yeah. You know that it was... I think it's sad in the end because he went too long and it's the old yeah, boxer. It is, but you know that it was almost, in, in the eyes of nearly everybody who was watching that match, it was going to be impossible that he would beat Foreman. Yes. Yeah. It was like... Oh, yeah. It was like me fighting Tyson in his prime almost. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. they thought he was going to maul him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Michal Martin, Tornista, I'm really, really um, thankful that you came in. I really enjoyed your company. Thanks for giving of yourself in the interview and thanks for um, engaging. Thank you very much indeed. I've enjoyed it. And that's it. My thanks, of course, to Michal Martin, the Tónishta, uh, for giving me enough material for two great podcasts. I think you'll agree it was probably a bit different to other interviews you may have heard. Um, my thanks, of course, to you as always for listening and not only your listening, but also interacting um, with me on email and on Twitter, etc., it's mariorosenstock at gmail.com if you want to send a personal email to me. 
um, regarding any aspects of the podcast, suggestions, comments, criticisms, constructive criticisms, ideas for sketches, anything you want. MarioRosenstock at gmail.com or I'm on Twitter at GiftGrubMario. Um, again, thanks for listening. If you can, tell one other person, if you like it, about my podcast. Not everybody's great at getting podcasts and using their devices. Not everybody's as technologically capable as you are. Um, maybe show them how to do it. Click into this, go to here, hit that, and then um, put a little tick beside it, and then it'll notify you every week of my podcast. Tell one other person. Thanks. See you same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.